You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 147. For today's edition of Look at My Records, I had the pleasure of chatting with Quebec songwriter Gus Engelhorn and his partner slash drummer Este Preda. Earlier this year, Gus released his debut album, Death and Transfiguration. It's a captivating record that's characterized by his surreal lyrical style and off-kilter vocal delivery. During our interview, we talked about some of the experiences that informed the songs on the record, how Gus approaches writing lyrics, his transition from being a professional snowboarder to a musician, the process behind making the video for his great song, Collarbone, and a whole lot more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look At My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look At My Records website, where you can find reviews, playlists, premieres of new music, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right. I'm speaking with Gus Anglehorn and Este. Coming at me from outside of Quebec City in a nice, quaint little cabin. (laughs) Yep. In the Quebec countryside. It sounds beautiful out there. (laughs) It is pretty pretty, pretty beautiful. It snowed today. Yeah, it snowed like three inches today. What? (laughs) Yep. That's crazy. (laughs) We're... We're not super close to snow down here in... I live just outside of New York City, but... I'm sure this winter there will be plenty of snow. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Your, your background, Gus, is really interesting. What brought you to Quebec City? I know you're originally from Alaska, way up north. How'd you wind up down in uh, Quebec in Canada? I, well, it's uh, really because of Este. Um, we met in, uh, like in Salt Lake City. Cause uh, she used to make all female snowboard videos. And, oh, awesome! Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I was I used to be a professional snowboarder, so we just met up. Uh, just it's like a kind of like a small little world, really. So we kind of just met up in this basement, and, uh, and then I guess we just uh, fell in love, and uh, and then we got married, and then we and I moved to Quebec City. I guess I wanted we wanted to come out here because like I don't know, uh, like Montreal seems so cool and stuff. And it has a good music scene. Yeah. It's cheap. Yeah. So cheap. It was so cheap. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Great great music scene. I'm all about the greater Montreal area <laughs> music scene. <laughs> totally. I found it really cool to learn that you were formerly a professional snowboarder, Gus. And I actually did a quick search, a quick YouTube sh- search, and watched some of your snowboarding videos. And... I really thought, like, similar to your music, you kind of had a really unconventional style and creative approach to snowboarding. You seem to do a lot of stuff in 
non-traditional terrain like at not at resorts or ski mountains and stuff like that so i was curious about your days snowboarding and as a professional snowboarder were you creative with music while you were doing that and do you kind of see parallels regarding creativity between those two pursuits as far as what attracted you to them yeah yeah definitely i think so um i don't know why i just have i guess i just have a tendency to try to do to, i'm kind of like uh i don't know what the, what the word would be but but i don't know yeah, i guess i do see a lot of parallels between the two and i definitely was drawn to both of them because of the creative possibilities and and yeah. kind of and i and um and I definitely somehow it does seem, my approach in music does seem to mirror my uh, my my approach the approach I had in snowboarding and I guess that's just I don't know why I always end up just trying to trying to do something um, uh, like a little bit odd or something I don't know why but that's just my, it's just I guess that's just my my natural um, approach to things. Yeah, totally. And I could definitely see it in your snowboarding style, which I thought was really cool. Very similarly creative with your music. So were you a musician? Have you been playing music for a while? Or is this something that you became more attracted to later in life as something you wanted to pursue? I didn't start that early. I think I like kind of started picking up a guitar around like when I was like 16 or so, but then I didn't really start writing songs until I was like 20. And it took me so long to even do anything that uh, resembled anything good, you know? <laughs> but I took, I don't know, man, it took me a long, long time, but I don't think I really started taking it too, too seriously until I was like really probably actually probably 20, four or five or something well when i met gus he was already so that's uh, over 10 years ago and he was already writing songs so i've always known gus as someone trying to actively trying to write songs but i think it took all i think it was hard probably to do both like trying to be a professional somewhere and trying to make music professionally you know it's just kind of a big undertaking so but i was always that's true that i was always i was always i always had a guitar in my hand for the last like 15 years pretty much but i just was always I mean, not that I'm great or anything now, but it took me a real long time to, to get to the point where I felt like I could make make something that, I, that I'd be proud of, I guess. And Este, how did you get involved in the musical aspects of Gus's project? Have you played music for a while as well, or did you? is this something you recently started picking up? Uh, it's very recent. I'm not a musician at all. I'm more of a visual artist, and um, I guess, so I, 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 you know, I was helping Gus in the process of just, I don't know, just, you know, helping with ideas and just giving him feedback and stuff like that. And eventually he was trying to find people, trying to put a band together and it never really worked out. And I, but I knew exactly what he was looking for. So I was just like, you know what, I'll just drum. I know exactly what you're looking for. And, and that's why I think that the sound ended up being a little bit naive like that is because of my, uh, my drumming abilities are pretty limited. So that's, that's, yeah, so uh, it's pretty recent, I guess. Like when did I start? I think we I officially started playing with you in early 2019, when we played our first show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, Essie's only been a drummer for like I don't know. She she learned the drums so quickly. I feel like I always like the way she plays everything. Like everything she touches, I think it's I don't know. She always has a nice touch, and 
for some reason she's the only musician I can really other musician I can ever play with. Because I've tried to play with other musicians, but she just always seems like she just and what she does, I, I always like it. Yeah, that's super impressive. Drums seem like the hardest instrument to pick up. I know musicians who've played guitar for many years that try to pick up drums and it's super hard. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, thanks. I think it's easy if you keep it simple. But I definitely could see how trying to get really good at it would be would be a really big time pursuit, I think. And Gus, what I really find interesting about the songs on uh, Death and Transfiguration, well, one of the things that I find interesting is you've feel like you've spent a lot of time in rural areas around nature growing up around nature and things like that but your music is more focused on like the surreal and the supernatural not things of the natural world which is something from interviewing different musicians a lot of musicians that are maybe grew up in Colorado around nature and stuff like that it plays a role in your in their music but I feel like it doesn't play a huge role in what you write about or sing about or things like that and I was just curious what do you think you attribute that to and what do you think shapes your your style your songwriting style uh, that's interesting um, man good question yeah I don't know I feel like I can't write about things from my everyday life really like they always work their way in into there but like in a kind of an oblique way like they never can be i can never yeah i can never like approach like writing a song it's weird too because i i have so many weird i, I don't know i have like you know like i was i've had a kind of an odd upbringing like i like i first like i first grew up in this little tiny village in alaska of like you know, yeah. hard is i think there's like maybe 200 people there something like that and it was like just a little fishing village and I don't know, I, I feel like it was like, it was a pretty odd, like it was like on my, my mom like grew up there when she was young and she was like, uh, she, her dad homesteaded it like full on gold miner style. Yeah. And uh, it was like this big thing, all lived on it, like hundreds of acres. So that's where I kind of first started growing up, but it's weird. I, I feel like I have so much good like uh, material if I wanted to write like a straight up, like, uh, I don't know, kind of your more like folky, like like a country yeah. record or something. But I, I was yeah. talking about like, you know, you, you've heard it, I guess, you know, you know what I was in a Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, I thought that was interesting, reading about your background and then seeing other musicians and what they write about, and your stuff is totally different and really, really good, so I thought it was cool, and I was curious about that. But your lyrical style and vocal delivery, definitely the key characteristic of your music, really stands out, very intriguing. How do you approach lyric writing? What styles have influenced you and what singing styles has influenced you? Because you also definitely have a really pronounced delivery that stands out as well. Oh, thank you. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, what has been my biggest influence? You think it's like... I don't know. It's hard to say. I think you, you just you write so much also so you've always been i think it's really linked to your writing it's like some sort of you know yeah i don't know definitely with the lyric writing i think a lot of the i definitely like i'm always writing in, in books all the time and i don't know where it comes from i do kind of like streams of consciousness kind of things where i'm just kind of like pumping out a bunch of stuff and, and then i kind of try to 
Yeah, and I try to like. Were you a writer at at first, and then saw music as an outlet for these writings that you were creating? Creating, I feel like that's some. There's stories. I was actually just reading the thirty three and a third on television's Marky Moon, and I actually didn't know that Richard Hell and Tom Verlaine like originally came to New York just as like poets, nope. and then got involved in like writing, you know, starting a band and doing music as a way to get their message to a wider audience through music. Is that something that happened with you? I don't know. I think maybe subconsciously, though. Yeah, I definitely have always had like a journal, and I've always been writing weird stuff in it, like forever. That's something yeah. that came super naturally to me. Even when I was like a little kid in like uh, elementary school and stuff, like when they would give us like writing assignments, I would always write like these, like these weird, dark stories. <laughs> about, like, like literally, when I was like ten years old, I wrote this story about like vampires and like how they were like suck, like like my parents were like vampires. They were like like sucking my blood and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, nice. and my teacher like, and he like called them, called my parents in and, and like he thought like my parents were like abusing me or something. You know, <laughs> 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 super scared. And I was like, no, no, I just made this up. Like this is all this. My parents are super nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know i think i always had a little bit of a proclivity uh towards like writing these weird little stories but i definitely i don't know why i don't know if it, i don't i definitely didn't consider myself a writer before i considered myself like a musician i don't think i don't think that was and i didn't ever think like i'm gonna write a book or anything but yeah i definitely always like writing i think you're also really attracted to fan, like fan, fantastic things in general you know and maybe that's why like it just I, I was always reading a lot of books, but I was never writing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, lyrical stylings. Um, I don't know. I guess like I, first I just started learning, like when I first started playing guitar, I was just learning tons of Bob Dylan songs. Like I was super into Bob Dylan songs. Yeah. And like Delta Blues stuff, like um, I don't know, like all kinds of Delta Blues guys, like Skip James and stuff. Like Skip James still like blows my mind. So when you're writing a song, I know you primarily write on acoustic guitar. Are you focused on writing melodies first? Do you write lyrics first? Or is it a combination of both? Uh, uh, man, late, so it's been kind of evolving like this last, so we're working on a new record right now. And uh, I don't think I, I barely even wrote anything. It's all like just uh, freestyled a little bit, like uh, like Jay Z or something. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty much like Jay Z. <laughs> yeah, totally. I dig it. Lately, I've been just getting like a guitar part going, and then I kind of just am like I kind of just like sing some gibberish over the top of that, or I like I sing kind of long melodic lines, like, and then eventually, like, I just keep messing with things and trying to uh, trying to like formulate the story but i haven't been writing anything lately just been just been uh but the first yeah. album you wrote all the stories before first thing i wrote all yeah first album i wrote all the stories before and uh, is that kind of just a natural change what is just feeling right for you or was that something that you kind of set out to do and how how would you say how would you compare the two as far as what you're able to create. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. It just kind of did happen naturally. I mean, some of the songs in the first time, I guess, did have a little bit of that approach too. They seem to be going more and more towards that. It just, it just happened naturally because I, so I'm always writing in books still, but yeah. somehow all of a sudden, like I had, I've been having trouble like fitting the things I write in my books to the songs. It's like, so I just been kind of going with the flow a little bit and just letting it kind of, letting it like, 
form on its own, I guess. This was kind of like the words that come to me as I'm doing it. But I mean, the result seems to be pretty similar, I guess. It's, they still seem to be kind of little stories. And I, I guess I'm getting a little bit more like Lewis Carroll kind of a thing sometimes. Cool. Like I got, I got some gibberish, like uh, nonsense stuff. <laughs> yeah, tell me a little bit about some non-musical influences that you take into your writing. I know you've said you, you've been in- influenced by dadism and different things like that. What what are some of your influences in that area? Um, yeah, definitely like all the surreal stuff, like the surrealists and um, just like watching old movies like... Um, like sometimes I'll just watch old movies like like uh, Rebecca or something by uh, who 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 is the director? Oh, Rebecca, I, don't I can't remember. remember. But yeah, oh, but I think it's Hitchcock. It's Hitchcock, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like like yeah, like old Hitchcock, like just any old cool weird movie that kind of has like a dramatic tinge to yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> like those always really inspire me. Yeah, and sometimes I'll just straight up like like I'll just kind of like try to take like something from the story and try to work it into my my stuff and but yeah a lot of like cinema for sure definitely a lot of cinema yeah gothic fiction too that that literal genre yeah yeah what what i like and i thought was cool is the like kind of you use the cut up style where you piece snippets together but you're really also able to create really strong and compelling narratives with your songs how do you interweave the two uh, when you're writing songs um yeah that's definitely i think that's like that's definitely you summed up my approach well i think that's really <laughs> what i try to do like i try to kind of try to like i, I think I, I what i try to do is i try to put enough kind of unrelated little snippets together in for and if i do that for a long enough period of time eventually they like all meet up perfectly and then they and then they read like a story kind of like um like like I'll have like two totally different songs. Like I usually have a bunch of different pieces of music. Like, um, like I'll have like something like a song like Sunset Strip, Sunset Strip, Sunset Strip, or something like that. And then all of a sudden I'll have another song that's like, I'll make you so proud of me. And then I'll just put it again, Sunset Strip, Sunset Strip, <laughs> I'll make you so proud. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing I try to do. And then I don't know. That's I guess that's my approach, kind of. And every time one of those things meet up nicely then that's like gives me that good like coat, uh fuzzy feeling inside that like that's why i like to write songs totally because <laughs> it feels so miraculous yeah i know that fuzzy feeling that is a good fuzzy feeling i heard it while listening to your record <laughs> so you also write some songs from perspectives that are other than other than your own an example my own paradise is written from the perspective of your brother and for songs like that i'm curious about how you go about writing lyrics from someone else's perspective what do you do to get into that mindset where you're thinking uh as not of yourself but maybe someone like your brother or a character because it seemed like there were some characters in some of your other songs as well yeah, sometimes it just happens. That's another kind of mysterious thing that happens, I think, when I'm trying to write songs. But every once in a while, I'll just realize, like, oh, I've taken on the perspective of, like, one of my friends or yeah. most often my little autistic brother just because he's so... He's, like, such a, such an odd, incredible character. And, like, I don't know, he's just so inspiring, I guess, that it's hard not to... 
hard not to like want to try to see things from his point of view, I guess, because it's such an interesting point of view. Also, maybe sometimes it's also a romanticized point of view that you know you, that you you have of their perspective yeah exactly and i think maybe when i think about my brother i'm just this is just coming to me now but i think it's like he didn't speak for the first like seven years of his life so so much of our, like our communication was based upon like me trying to like figure out what he want or what he was trying to get at or whatever so maybe it was like maybe it's just a lot of maybe i got so used to being inside of his head trying to figure out what he what he was trying to tell me that like maybe it just has become kind of part of me or something yeah it's interesting because writing from the perspective of your brother that's someone that you know pretty well and how would that differ from maybe someone you didn't yeah. know as well are you doing more extrapolating would you say about their perspective or maybe focusing in on a romanticized version of what you think they would be thinking or doing yeah definitely definitely um yeah i think it's it definitely has a lot to do with like trying to process relationships too maybe and also try to trying to like sometimes it's about my friends who have like have died and stuff. Yeah. sometimes it's like a lot of i i don't know alaska is like alaska is just like a crazy dangerous place full of weird like uh like reckless people yeah. which are, could be really great and, and really sad but sometimes it's just like sometimes it's definitely like like sometimes it's definitely me like just coping with like um like just losing yeah. some of my friends and stuff like so sometimes sometimes the songs like like this is a little bit about that kind of stuff just to try to like um soothe my myself or something yeah. yeah totally and that's definitely something that is the great thing about writing music is it's also a coping mechanism to process an array of different emotions and it's very expressive in that way totally so when you wrote death in transfiguration did you envision it having some kind of overarching concept and, and what's the meaning behind the the title of the record i didn't really like i feel like all my all my well i've only written one record but at this, I, I guess i've written two now i'm about to record the second one but they seem to always end up kind of sounding like concept records in a way but they but i didn't really at the first i was really just trying to figure out how to write songs and i think i just they just ended up kind of they just ended up just kind of all sounding like in that universe and fitting easily under that that title i think in a way but it's but it's also weird because i feel like it was such a transitional part of my life but from like going from being a professional snowboarder kind of into trying to become a musician i think that i think really the record's a lot about like it's a it's a lot about it's a lot about like literal death and it's a lot about like the figurative death that every athlete yeah. goes through of you know like when they when they hang it up you know like they say and uh and so i think it was a lot about me trying to like figure out who i was outside of the snowboard world which so it was like a little so that, that's where the, the transfiguration comes from a little bit i was just trying to like <clears throat> i was trying to like beat my imposter syndrome and be like I, i'm a sock writer right <laughs> i can do totally this. totally and that must have been hard you know i didn't i get i didn't i guess i didn't even really think about it from that perspective of retiring as a professional snowboarder as an athlete is you know a very challenging thing to do especially something that you've done for a long time 
How, what was that process like for you? Was it something that you were welcoming of and that you wanted to kind of transition into doing something like music or something different creatively? Yeah, I think I was welcome, welcoming of it in a way. And in another way, at the time, I don't think I realized how kind of difficult it was like um identity wise yeah. like it was and it was and it was just also hard it was like i went from a kind of it was a harsh transition it was like i went from like i never made a lot of money snowboard but i would like i had enough money to like you know make it by and then like i would like i was constantly traveling and and you got snowboarding you got friends like usually you know everywhere you go that you got so many friends everywhere. So I had all these friends all over the country and stuff that I'd always see just kind of by like my, um, just, just by traveling around snowboarding. And then like, as soon as it stopped, it was like, I ended up kind of between Alaska and Quebec for a while. And it was just like, definitely just, just like, okay, I, I like got down to business and I was like, okay, I really gotta just try to write songs and just try to like mix up, try to see if I can make something cool. But it was like, it really went from like a life of travel and friends to a life of like, hanging out in like you know like my room like 14 hours a day trying to write songs and being really bad at it for a long time and being super super poor <laughs> so that was that was the hard part it was just weird to be in the same place all the time i was so used to traveling but um so that was the weird part but then on the other side of things like the more positive side of things it was just super exciting to to like I, i'd all it's always like it's been a dream for a long long time to try to make an album and stuff so I was I, I was so happy to have all my time to like fully pursue it and F day like supported me like I didn't I didn't really work but I worked a little bit sometimes but just like construction jobs here and there but that was pretty much it. That's cool. It's really exciting. It's like a new creative chapter of your life and you're doing great things. We love Death and Transfiguration. It's an awesome record. Oh, thank you. And your songs they can be pretty personal too i was listening in particular to transform which i believe is the last song on the record right yeah and um <laughs> yeah. you talk about this out-of-body experience that you had as a child and it really cuts deep because you're you keep referring to your mother and brother being there kind of repeatedly which i feel it kind of sounds like traumatizing almost the way it's con conveyed. Yeah. So what was it like writing that song in particular, where it seems like you were really getting a difficult experience that you maybe suppressed out of you at this point in your life? Yeah, that, it was weird. Um, it was a weird song to, to write for sure. Like the, the music, musically it was weird too, because like uh, it has this, like, it has that, that weird like demi tone shift. Yeah. And it's just because I was like playing, I was walking around and and I was like playing on my little acoustic guitar and I, and I usually was just playing like C, D, E, Y, and I accidentally just put my fingers like one fret down and then it sounded like really dark and weird. So it was like, that was, it. I, and then it kind of just, I, I had the, I had, I had, had, I had written those lyrics um, like a while before and I was always trying to find something to match them to, but I never could find something like demented enough to, <laughs> to match them to until I played that super dissonant <laughs> chord on accident. And um, like, I don't, I don't know if it, it was meant to be as dissonant and like um, traumatic sounding as originally, but it certainly like is pretty disturbing, especially because 
we like we had this violinist friend and we like had her come into the studio and play violin on it and like after the violin was out there it was like next level like sad and weird. it's cool it's a really cool spooky spooky song everyone who's listening it's a good halloween record <laughs> to, to put on yeah, for <laughs> the holiday this upcoming weekend <laughs> Oh, that's yeah, cool. Kids are, I guess, like, we, like, um, like, my, I have, like, some nephews and stuff, and they're, like, all, like, it's, like, a Halloween record. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, it's Halloween. It's a great, Halloween. great record. They call it. <laughs> yeah, but, for, yeah. For any season, but pretty good for Halloween, yeah, too. definitely. I don't know, man. It's just always in that zone. <laughs> Halloween zone. Yeah. It's a good zone to be in. Great holiday. One of my favorites. Oh, yeah, me too. All right. The recording process where you recorded with your friend Alex Ozilu at La Magna... La Meta Phone. I'm sorry, my French is so horrendous. No, it's good. Yeah, thank you. Like you said, the... The sonics on the record are really spooky, surreal, horror-inspired sound that really pairs well with the lyrics and your vocal delivery. What were some of the things that you were able to do in the studio to capture that sound and that your friend Alex was able to do as a producer to help really complete your sonic vision for the record. You want to, you can, you can it. go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you, you want me to go? No, you well, go. Okay, well, well my, the, the thing I'll say about it <laughs> is that um, the only thing I remember telling Alex is like, it, it needs to sound surreal. I, we just pretty much told him that, and then- We told him it's gotta sound like a John Cocteau movie or something. Yeah, exactly. We're, so we kind of gave him like yeah. like movie references, <laughs> just by, like visual references, and I guess he just, I don't know, he just made some magic happen. He's like a, such a hidden gem, that guy. Like anybody who wants to record a record in the province of Quebec or elsewhere, I would say, man, like he's so, that guy's just like amazing. Like we gave him like the, we were so difficult to work with, and like, uh, <laughs> Like we were so mistrustful of like any sound engineers because we try to I don't know <laughs> <laughs> like we were really trying to like just protect our music from any outside forces. We were like, okay, yeah. you know, and, and I don't know why we, we just really, wanted yeah. we wanted it to sound the way it sounded when we played it together, and then th- yeah. I think that's why we were scared. It was like we didn't want to denature what it sounded like at first we wanted to go like full like uh who's the guy who did the field recordings uh winter in america um uh, oh. uh what's his name alan lomax or whatever we wanted to be like just like documentary documentary and like like uh steve albini style like nothing no no nothing but then after yeah i don't know i think he added like a slap back on my voice at some point and i was like Ooh, Pretty nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then after that, we started like. Then we really started getting into like, okay, maybe this thing's gotta sound more like a dream and more surreal and more like, you know, like, more odd and John Cocteauy. And so then we just kind of gave him just a couple little pointers, and then he just did ever. He just went to town. Like that guy's a real gem. Like he, I think he like made himself sick like working on the album like he was just in his basement like just mixing it like endlessly and and we were super difficult but he yeah (laughs) so that was pretty much the recording process it sounds like it was a lot of fun it It was was, it was really fun it was it was really stressful because 
but for me at, at least at first because i've never i had never been in a studio you know like once again the imposter syndrome too and then we were recording live and i really didn't want like i didn't want to mess up anything to break like the like i don't know the 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 like the the feel and then just like the, i didn't like i want to do it quickly too do not like because it was also kind of expensive for for back then when we were so poor but anyway it was like it was really a romantic experience in a way now that i look back at it beautiful and since you're working on your next record now do you have recording plans for what you will be doing for the next one yeah i think we're just going straight back to the to alex he lives like 20 minutes from our house and like he's just such a cool guy and he's so good yeah so we're going back actually we're gonna go back like next week i think oh that's super exciting very cool yeah how would you compare what you're writing now to Death and Transfiguration? Um, I think it's like a a little faster. Like uh, we were listening to like the Germs a lot of stuff, and, and like uh, so there's nice. definitely like cool. first wave punk influence in there. Like even a little bit more than the first one, I think. And uh, so there, that's what I think. I think. I think overall, though, I think it's it's like just a continuation of Death and Transfiguration in a lot of ways. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a little more eclectic too than the first one. I think we're exploring different territories that I think we're more comfortable doing now that the universe is finally established. You know, you, you can kind of we can kind of expand it a little more and and be comfortable expanding it. So uh, yeah, yeah. I discovered this new thing on my guitar too, where like I turn my tone knob all the way down and then I turn like the gain really high and it makes this like really sludgy like sound. <laughs> so there's a couple on there that are like ultra sludgy. Nice. <laughs> so that's a new thing. I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's good. I think it's gonna be the universe wise, like as far as the whole feel of the whole thing. I think it's a lot like Death and Transfiguration. Cool. Well, can't wait to hear it. Happy to hear that you're going to the studio next week. All right, last question before we play some songs from Death and Transfiguration. Look at my records was super stoked to premiere the video for Collarbone last month. Love the song, love the concept of the video, the way it was shot. And also I feel like how it kind of reflected your cut up lyrical style that also fo follows a narrative. How the video come together, and what were you hoping to to convey through it? Uh, that's our first video we shot with this camera we bought from uh, Russia called a uh, Krasnogorsk Three, and um, and it's a sixteen millimeter camera. So it's like our it's we we, we had shot uh, one video prior to that with sixteen millimeter uh, on like an old Bolex our friend had. So, so but uh, we really really like shooting with, with with film. So we we uh, we bought our own for like three hundred bucks, and it's kind of a crappy 16 millimeter camera from the 80s but so that like informed like the the, the work uh flow quite a bit like it like uh but um yeah i think we i i think uh you know este and i we just kind of like storyboard the whole thing out and we're really new to making videos but um besides her you know she made snowboard videos forever but but uh yeah we kind of storyboard the whole thing out and try to come up with stuff like that kind of like is good for kind of character development and kind of funny and weird at the same time and, and that, that's like kind of what yeah. we do we can try to like aim like kind of just kind of like tell a little story and kind of like 
but but not um, spell it out too much, but kind of have it be a little bit dreamlike. Exactly. Yeah, because it, it, I also felt like at times it was linear, but also non-linear too, because in the beginning you're kind of singing, you, th- you throw the milk in the air, and then you're sitting in the wheelchair with your arm in the sling, but it's like mm-hmm. before the the yeah. fight happens yeah. yeah i think we do try to mess with like the chronological order a little bit uh yeah, it's more interesting a little bit yeah. also this this video was also kind of a test video we were kind of we tried our best for sure but we were also expecting to like we were expecting the roles not to work because we had tons of technical problems we had some serious malfunctions <laughs> during the shoot but 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 so that's why i think we were we just tried really hard but we also I think since it was, we knew it was kind of a test, we were having a lot of fun too. So we just, I don't know, it just turned out kind of funny and because of that, I think. Yeah, but we're really starting to love making the videos. Like at first it was kind of like, almost like, I wouldn't say a nuisance, but we were like, it was it, it's so tiring making a little video. You're like, oh man, you gotta come up with all this stuff. And, and you're trying to write songs at the same time and stuff. So it would be pretty tricky sometimes, but it, it's really become like a, a, like another part of the process that's like super exciting to me. And I, re- I really love doing it. Yeah, it's super cool. It's a great, great video. I like it a lot. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Oh yeah, and it's super inspired by Scorpio Rising by Kenneth Anger. That's right. That's like our main inspiration. <laughs> that's oh, true. Nice. Yep. All right. So let's play some songs from the record again everyone it's called death and transfiguration and you can get it at gusanglehorn.bandcamp.com that's g-u-s-e-n-g-l-e-h-o-r-n.bandcamp.com they have vinyl and we're gonna hear four songs from the record we're gonna hear collarbone which we just talked about my own paradise transform and stay little and then we'll be back to talk records you broke my collarbone i said ah cut my finger to the bone i said I said
the Holy Spirit A string of islands, the scent of roses gathered in the air. Beware the spacious entrance, entrance. There are some things that are worse, but not that many. The year that Grandpa went to heaven, you left the town again. Darkness gathered all around us. Behold the narrow path, path. There are some things I deserve, but not that many. All those years in the belly of the seven, you brought me back again.
like a little machine that never really, ever really beats slowly and gets me all worked up. It's just like a little fiend that never really, ever really can get enough and gets me all worked up. I went out through the window, up past the treetops, far above ground.
We're back. We heard four songs from Gus's record. The record is called Death and Transfiguration. And we heard Collarbone, My Own Paradise, Transform, and Stay Little. Again, everyone, you can get it on vinyl at gusanglehorn.bandcamp.com or you could stream it on your platform of choice now. Gus and Este picked some records and we are going to talk about them and play them. So what did you what did you select? Okay, wait, uh, oh, the computer's here. We selected, well, I remember you saw an Elvis. Awesome. Yeah, first one is Elvis Costello watching the detec- watching the detectives. Great song. Oh, I love Elvis Costello. He's really like I pretty much just tried to like as far as like uh, aesthetically speaking, really tried to be Elvis Castello as a friend because he's the coolest. Yeah, I remember uh, in, in my office at work, like years ago, I had this little Elvis Costello poster in my office, and some guy was like, "What are you like trying to look like him?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> dude, come on." Because <laughs> so cool. I guess I, ha- I like looked like him a little bit. Yeah. I was like, yeah, obviously, he's like the coolest person in the world. <laughs> Seriously. He's too cool, man. I'm, I, want, I really want to get my uh, name, like, uh, you know, he had, like, his name, like, um, uh, inlaid into his into his neck on his guitar. It's so cool looking. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, that's, that's always really, really cool. Yeah. Do you remember when you first got into Elvis Costello? Man, it hasn't been that long, really. It's been, like, maybe even a year or two or something like that. Really not that long. Yeah, no, he's he's awesome. There's so much, he's got so much music to digest and get into, but it's really that early stuff mm. that is awesome. It's insane, man. Like, you watch the live shows and stuff, the live shows are, like, so crazy. He was always very energetic, especially his appearances on Top of the Pops. Yeah. Mm. He's always so sweaty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sweaty guy helped me to embrace being sweaty. You know, instead of shunning it. Me too. I'm a, I'm a sweaty, sweaty man. <laughs> I'll sweat at the drop of a hat. All right. So we got Watching the Detectives by Elvis Costello. What's got, next? Which one? Buddy Holly? Yeah, we got a Buddy Holly song, Rave On. Oh, nice. Is Buddy, Buddy Holly an influence? I feel like aesthetically, too, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Buddy Holly. I like. The, I don't know. He's just... There's something about him. <laughs> Damn that airplane crash. <laughs> he probably could have done a lot. Yeah, so tragic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredibly tragic. So young. Oh, yeah. So crazy. And kind of like also the, the minimalism of that era of rock and roll, too. Yeah. It, you know? Yeah, totally. We're definitely really inspired by that, like just the... Like that, that uh, classic or uh, early rock Yeah, stuff. I just feel like it was so unadulterated and like so raw and like the people would just plug their guitars straight in their amp and then just play and then everything was catchy. And I think that's really, I just love that era of rock and roll. It's so good. Yeah, you could, you could definitely hear it, you know, that garage, you know, eventually I think there's, you know, Buddy Holly and then in the 60s garage acts that were inspired by that and maybe a little bit you know really really raw garage stuff mm-hmm. exactly yeah. i love that what else we got 
Okay, good. Let's see. Um, we were thinking beat happening. Uh, tiger trap. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that. I'm surprised I never thought of beat happening when I listened to your record, but now that you mention it, that's definitely an influence for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we love that. I think you, I think your l- lyrics are a, a d- darker though and spookier. I think Calvin Johnson was a, a little more. It seemed at least listening to the first one, more like day to day personal stuff. Yeah. for Calvin Johnson, I think yeah, I'd say for sure. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I think that's yeah. It's a little lighter than than your universe for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah, maybe. But also, yeah, I think, yeah, just musically, I think it's just the fact that we don't know really play our instruments, yeah. <laughs> Not that they were bad or anything. <laughs> they made everybody feel like they could play, I guess. Totally. Yeah, yeah but that, that's that's how you make minimalism sound good, though, because you listen to a Beat Happening record, and it is very bare bones, but really... the. It's a testament to the strength of the songwriting. Same with Death, death and Transfiguration, for sure. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else? We got... Um, the romant- For the romantic side of us, we could do the Simon and Garfunkel America. Adorable. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yep. Beautiful. Used by used by Bernie Sanders as a campaign song oh, really? recently, so that's what I associate this song with now. Yeah. Whoa, well, I didn't, I didn't know. know that. Get another reason why Bernie rules. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you got next? Should we do my personal favorite? Oh yeah, go do your favorite Bob Dylan song. Okay, if I pick my favorite Bob Dylan song, it's Wigwam. <laughs> Awesome. Why do, Why is that Bob Dylan song your favorite? Because I think it's just, I think the whole story behind how the, it was, how you made that album and I don't know, it's like just from the mind of a concussed man and just like, I don't know, it's so beautiful and so different than what he does usually. I don't know. I think it's because it's a rare, a rare song for him to do. So maybe that's why it's my favorite. <laughs> You think he's the only person in the world whose favorite Bob Dylan song is Wigwam? <laughs> no, there's there's got to be others out there. Wigwam's a good tune. <laughs> it's a good tune. Thanks, Tom. It does make you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got one more, I think, right? Or yes. Okay. Oh yeah, we picked yes this one. Huh? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the Velvet Underground and Nico All Tomorrow's Parties. Beautiful song. Beautiful, beautiful song. So one of my favorite bands, The Feelies, last year they did this all Velvet Underground covers show. Wow. Because they were supposed to do something. There was this Velvet Underground exhibit in New York City for like three months and it had a lot of old memorabilia and art, stuff like that. And they were supposed to play something at the exhibit, but then it didn't work out or something. They couldn't, like, accommodate a full live band or whatever. So then they just did this separate show where they did all Velvet Underground covers. And that was the highlight, their cover of All Tomorrow's Part. Oh, uh, cool. Really, really good. The feelings are so good. I, I discovered them recently, too, like maybe six months ago or something, and they're amazing. Oh, uh, well, you know what we got to do? Because they play in New Jersey or New York like every year. One year, you got to come down and we'll go see them. And it'll be a lot of fun. 
Yes. Oh, I would love that. That'd be that. so cool. It's a date. <laughs> it's, it's a date, totally. When live music returns, <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later. Oh, yeah. But yeah, All Tomorrow's Parties. What an incredible song. Is that your favorite Velvet Underground song? Oh, uh, there's so many good ones. I think it could be, though, for sure. Mm. I really do love it. It's... Uh, I don't know. There, no, there's too many to pick because I really like these days too. And but that's just Nico, right? Oh, that's just Nico. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. There's just so many good ones. That's a gorgeous song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, there's so many beautiful ones. It's crazy. They're such a cool band. Yeah, the coolest Lou Reed, coolest man Rest in- ever. Yeah, man. for sure. Miss him a lot. Me yeah. Too. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna play. Gus and Estes record selections. We got Elvis Costello, Buddy Holly, Beat Happening, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan, and the Velvet Underground, and Nico. And we will be back. Watch them the detectives Don't get cute 
Welcome back. We're back, everyone. We heard Gus and Este's record selections, starting with Elvis Costello, his song, Watching the Detectives. Then we heard Rave On by Buddy Holly, Tiger Trap by Beat Happening off of You Turn Me On, America by Simon and Garfunkel, Wigwam by Bob Dylan off of Another Self-Portrait, and All Tomorrow's Parties by The Velvet Underground and Nico. All right. Sadly, this episode of Look at My Records with Gus and Este is coming to a close. But we had a great time chatting (laughs) today. We did. (laughs) And you're working on... You're working on new music to end the year. So everyone, if you enjoyed Death and Transfiguration, you can get it on vinyl at gusenglehorn.bandcamp.com. That's G-U-S-E-N-G-L-E-H-O-R-N.bandcamp.com. You could also check it out on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere music is streaming. So... You're going to the studio next week. That's super exciting. Any release schedule for the new record? You figure it'll be out sometime next year, probably. Yeah, exactly. We're trying. I'm trying to get it out the the same date uh, we released uh, <laughs> Death and Transfiguration. I'm not sure why, but <laughs> January 24th. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're really trying, <laughs> for no reason, really. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good goal to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just figured, I, why not, if we could at least, it's a good, you know, one a year kind of goal, and then just kind of keep going there and get through the rest of the de- new decade, one record a year. That's awesome. So by 2030, we'll have 10 Gus Anglehorn <laughs> records. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Unless I crack, which is, you know, more than likely. <laughs> Can't wait for 2030, because then I'll be playing the 10 on repeat. On shuffle, too. All right. So, we're going to play one more song to end the show. It's the second to last track on Death and Transfiguration. It's called Johnny Cult. Tell me a little bit about this song before we close the program with it. Um, this one's a bit of a, a sad song a bit. I think it's about like um, someone who's like had a kind of a rough go at life and they, when they and they and they they die and then they they come out of their body and then they're kind of like so happy just to see the sun and they're kind of dancing around and stuff and they're kind of like uh, I mean out, either they come out of their body I don't know if they go back into their body if it's just like a you know uh, a temporary out of body experience uh, kind of thing or if it's like uh, really the end but yeah that's kind of what it's about I think nice we don't know if they go back into their body that's a cliffhanger <laughs> choose your own ending for people out there after they listen to it <laughs> Gus and Este, it was so wonderful speaking to you today. Thank you for being on Look at My Records. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. It was so fun. Thank you so much, Tom. Full of dead across his chest, lips blue, and he doesn't move. 
another one gone last night who didn't put up much of a fight Well that's the price you pay for being cool And everyone that knew him, they only thought they knew him But no one really ever had a clue So, Johnny Colt's arms rest full of dead across his chest Lips blue and he doesn't move One, two, one, two, one They call them magic boy and play with them like a toy They fed on 